Well, good morning. I, um, uh, I'd like to start this morning by uh, telling you about one of the uh, one of the most important moments in my life. Um, I was I was 20, so that's like 19 years ago, summer of 2000. And for about five years, I've been coming along to a church a bit like this, um, but come, kind of coming along on a Sunday morning, kind of away, and then doing my own thing the rest of the time, very much so. And um, uh, very much living two lives, or, or trying to, and, and and I basically kind of came to the end of that. I just realised that uh, I guess the bit of the hypocrisy of my life, bit of the fruitlessness of it, and uh, and so thought, I, no, I, I need to get more serious about God, and um, so I started trying to come to church a bit more and hang out with people a bit more, and uh, asked a friend of mine who uh, I saw was more mature than me and could uh, give me some tips and advice. I was like, what else should I do? And he was like, well, here's a little Bible study you could, you could do. And it was one of those things where each day there's a Bible reading and then someone writes some stuff about it. So I was like, okay, fine. So I'll, I'll do that. And, and it, was, it was a really exciting moment. I was feeling excited about this kind of new sense of life and, and what was happening. Uh, and then basically an evening happened in, during the summer and um, just, uh, I don't know, it was just a very, very, very bad uh, family night. Um, like really, really bad. And uh, everything, was, uh, uh, everything was a mess, everything was loud, everything was horrible. It was a, it was a really, really uh, distressing evening. And, um, and, and I guess in that moment there's a jarring of... Wow, this has been really exciting. We're learning more about God, and then suddenly, oh my goodness, what on earth is going on? This is awful. And uh, eventually, I went around to some uh, Christian friends that night. They gave me uh, much better counsel than the kind of counsel I was used to getting from my non-Christian friends previously, and I uh, was encouraged and helped by that. Uh, went to bed and woke up the next morning. Um, uh, it was a Sunday morning, I remember, and I thought, well, I should read the next page of this Bible study. Um, and so that's what I did. So I, uh, so I sat down at my little desk in my bedroom and I opened it up and it had Romans 8, 28, uh, which says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And at that moment, I knew that God was in the room with me. I knew that he was there with me and speaking to me and assuring me of his love and of his sovereignty over all things and and that actually he was, he was involved and that he wasn't going to be at a distance, he was close. And in that moment, I, w- I would say I'd never really, I might have had some pictures which I really appreciated, I might have heard from God in prophetic ways, but this was the time that I heard God speak to me through his word uh, for the first time. And, and really ever since then, I've believed that he can do that and I've experienced that happen in other ways at other times. But that was a key transformative moment for me in, in my entire life, really, I was, and, and it's, it's a moment I obviously really treasure. Uh, some of you will have had moments like that yourself in your own Christian walk for your Christians here. Um, and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that it was in Romans 8. Romans 8 is uh, often said by commentators and experts in the Bible, this is, it's all good, but this is really great. The Bible is all wonderful. It's all God's word. It's all God's truth. But if you're going to narrow it down and just... You can only take one or two chapters with you. You want to take Romans 8 with you. And that was my experience that night. And as I've read Romans 8 over the years since then, I've, uh, I've experienced that more and more. And uh, People uh, look to find ways to describe its greatness. And so they talk about it being uh, like, a, like the, the highest mountain ranges in all the kind of peaks and valleys of Scripture. 
And uh, because of that, we thought, okay, well, we're going to speak about it for three weeks. So we'll call it like a three-peak challenge. Uh, Each of us, uh, week after week after week, uh, preach on this chapter. And so I'm going to start it uh, today. And we're just going to read just some of the good things that are there in the first 11 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. If we're thinking kind of mountains... This is like being dropped at, I don't know, 20,000 feet to start with. This is no kind of like, we'll slowly work our way up. Paul just goes in, bang, very high level of truth, very high level of greatness. It's like he gives us the headline to start with. Sometimes he builds the argument up and then comes to a conclusion. But today, no. Paul's like, here's the headline. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, we often use condemn uh, to mean Basically, saying something is bad. So you'll hear this in the news. uh, So-and-so condemned such-and-such for their social media post or for uh, attending an event or something like that. And that's what we mean by condemned, by and large, isn't it? Condemned means they said something was bad. But that's not what condemn really means. The word here means it's the punishment that follows the guilty verdict. So someone said, this is bad, and then the condemnation is the punishment that follows it. So you might say, the judge condemned the thief to five years in prison. That's condemnation as this passage is talking about it. It's not just, oh, saying it's bad. It's like, it's, there is, there's a guilty verdict against us, and there's a punishment that follows it. We are guilty. None of us have, have loved and served God alone. None of us do that. And none of us have loved our neighbors as ourselves. None of us do that all the time. And so there is a guilty verdict from God who called us to do those things and calls us to account for whether or not we have or haven't done those things. So there is a guilty verdict. And yet here, Paul says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is is amazing news. And whoever you are here today, this can be true for you. Maybe you've come today with a... A burden of guilt. Maybe you've come today knowing that you've done wrong and you're like, 
if only I could be free of this. If only I could, if only this could be taken away from me. If only I didn't feel the way I feel about the things that I've done and how I've lived. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. Maybe it's, it's been a very long time and the things you've done since you were last here, you just wouldn't want anyone here to know about. You just feel full of shame. Or maybe you're a member of King's and this week, like most weeks, you haven't, you haven't loved your kids or your colleagues or your customers or whoever as God loves them. And so you've got those familiar feelings of regret and guilt. Whoever you are, if you're in Christ, God will not condemn you. He will not condemn you. He hasn't and he won't. And because this statement applies to us most of the time, well, it applies to us pretty much all, well, it applies to us all of the time. It has applicability many a time. I think it's a verse that Christians should have in their head. So I need it. When I do things wrong, when I've blown it again, and, and I'm just, those kind of feelings of guilt are coming in, and I'm like, oh gosh, what have I done? I can't believe it. Why am I still like this? Oh, it's so frustrating. One of the things I need to know in that moment is there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if there is, I'll get it. And the thing is, it's not just me, it's not just my guilty conscience. Maybe you're not a Christian here today, you're like, oh, you're probably just trying too hard, you should relax. But it's not just my guilty conscience. There's an enemy who loves to get in on these kind of things. He's, he's an accuser. That's what the Bible says he is. He, uh, that's, his, that's his title, he's an accuser. And he's a bit like his anagram namesake, Santa. He knows if you've been bad or good. And every bad thing you do, he hits you around the head with it and brings it up again and again and again. It can be years later. You know this, don't you? You're like, once in a while, you just be doing something else and you'll be like, can you believe you did that thing 20 years ago? You're like, where did that come from? Can you believe you're like that? And you didn't do that good thing again today, did you? You didn't do it yesterday? I bet you, I'll tell you what. Might we have a bet? I bet you won't do it tomorrow either. These accusations come in. These, the, these, this knowledge of us is accurate. There's no lies in any of that. You did that thing, didn't you? Yes. And because of this, we feel guilt. Uh, we feel shame. Uh, we feel powerlessness. We feel like, yeah, I'm always going to be like this. This is just what it's going to be like in my life. And that's what he wants you to think. Because if you think that way, how you think is how you act. If you think that you're powerless, you'll, just, you'll, you'll never expect things to change. If you think that you're guilty, you'll live under a burden of guilt. If you think uh, that you are, uh, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to turn the word around. If you're full of shame, you will continue to live in a shameful manner. That, that's what will happen. That's exactly what the enemy wants to have happen. But there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious truth. And you've connect, maybe you will have connected with that first point. You know what it's like to feel like, oh no. And Paul here says, this has got to be with that the whole time. Immediately upon it. This is the truth you've got to be living in. Yes, all that other stuff's true, but this is what's really true. This is what matters the most. This is what Paul wants you to know and live according to. And I want you to know it today. And, and so I'm not just going to kind of keep saying it. I'm going to do what Paul does, which is explain some of it for you. I don't want you to take my word for it. 
I want you to see that this is in God's word. Because there probably are things that you've done that you think, well, for most things, yes, but for that thing, no. Or maybe you're not a Christian here today. You're like, well, I've lived too long this other way. And God wants to break in this now moment for you. So I'm going to try and explain it. Just to be clear, it's not that God doesn't care what you've done. I think we'll probably make that clear, hopefully, over the next few minutes. God does care. But he has done something about it. And I want to give you a picture of that uh, this morning so that you can hold this verse in your head and know that it's true. So, many of us here would call ourselves Christians. If you were to describe yourself, you'd probably say, oh, I'm a Christian. Certainly, if you are a Christian, you, you, you probably would. But Paul preferred a different phrase to describe believers. He described them as in Christ. That was what he went for instead. And to say, I'm in Christ, is a statement of something that has already happened. It's not, I'm trying to be in Christ. No, I am in Christ. And uh, that's what Paul uses in Romans 8. And he contrasts being in Christ with being in the flesh. And he uses this word flesh, not because he doesn't like physicality, because God made all things, God's the creator of all things. But flesh makes us think of our natural condition makes us think about us as, as we are. It's, our, it, it, it's what we do. It's the results of our efforts. It's what we're like. And everyone is born in the flesh. Everyone is born in this way. It's this way of living. And what we read today tells us it's a terrible place to be. You don't want to be in it, but you are in it. There is a law of sin and death, Paul says, which you cannot escape from. Now, usually we think of sin as something that we do, and we think of death as something uh, that happens to us. But often in the New Testament and in Paul's writings, when he talks about sin and death, he's not talking about them in those senses. He's talking about them as powers. He's talking about sin with a capital S, and he's talking about death with a capital D. And uh, they are overwhelmingly at work on us and in us and around us. They are inescapable. Every day you will experience it. You will experience the power of sin today because you are going to sin. You are going to do things uh, that either you don't want to do or that God doesn't want you to do. Maybe a thought, maybe a word, maybe a deed, maybe all of those things. But you are going to do those things. And try as hard as you might in your own strength, in your flesh, you cannot escape from doing those things. That's the power of sin and we experience it every day. It's our natural state to be selfish. It's our natural default uh, to not put God first in everything. And we know the power of death every day. See, most of us don't think of it in this way, but you're, you're another day closer. There's not a sense of, I wonder if one day, you know one day you're going to die. We may live longer, but we are all still dying. And that's because death is a power that we cannot escape from. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave his people a law uh, to live by, and it was a law that was full of uh, life and full of goodness and purity. It's God saying, this is what's wrong. Don't do that. If you live this way instead, you will have life. But none of them obeyed it. They, They were right there. God gave them his law, and they all went another way. And Paul says in Romans that the mind that is Romans 8, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
And he describes actually this law, this law that God gave, as weakened by the flesh. And basically what he means by that is that the law was this perfect description of holiness. It's a perfect description of God, who he is, what perfection looks like, and what that perfection would look like in human behavior. It would look like loving God with everything we have, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then it looks like that in a you know, myriad ways. That's why it's often so long. Uh, because this is what it looks like. And, it, and we see this perfect description of God. But it was powerless to change those who are in the flesh. It's external to them and it, 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 can't, it doesn't have any effect on them. That's why you often have these mind-boggling passages in the Old Testament, don't you? If you ever read the Old Testament, you'll see, for example, James was uh, reminding us of when, when God parted the sea and the people went through the sea and then about five minutes later, they're like, God just doesn't love us. <laughs> and we can't trust him. And you, you read it. I mean, I, I read it, I'm like, what is wrong with you? You just, it looked like it's right there. It just happened. There's a mountain that's on fire with the glory of God and all the people are petrified and Moses is there getting the commandments and the people are like, why don't we worship another God whilst he's gone? And you think, how are you, what is wrong with you? Paul says, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. They're all in the flesh. That's what you do when you're in the flesh. Even the most glorious example right in front of you, even the most perfect law, even the best lifestyle and uh, wisdom advice that you could get, it cannot change your nature. You might like form a few habits or something that will help you kind of hide it a bit or improve, take some of the rough edges off, but it cannot change your nature. And so this law of sin and death sends us hurtling towards death. To set the mind on the flesh, Paul says, which we all do, verse 6, is death. It is condemnation. as a guilty verdict. So, so let's just picture this. And the, uh, I've got a little, it's not little actually, it's quite a large illustration to help us with this. Um, so this is obviously... Not a real coffin. Um, but it's, it was the only thing I was going to pay for to, 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 to represent what it's like to be in the flesh. Because this is the destiny of all of us who are. And I'm, I'm going to ask Karis to come and kind of illustrate this for us. Uh, not because uh, she's short enough to fit in the coffin. You don't need to lie down, Karis. It's fine. But... I want Karis to represent for us what all, the state that all of us are in. So you can just kind of stand in that. That's perfect. Great job. Thank you. So this is what it's like to be in the flesh. You are, you are in a coffin. It's almost like we're born in a coffin. We are, we are heading there the whole time because we refuse to obey God and we learn to live in ways that disobey God and we celebrate not obeying God. And he's the giver of life. And he's the judge. And so death comes our way. We're trapped by sin and death. We are facing a just condemnation. This is the bad news. This is the worst of news. And yet in the midst of that, we've got some good news coming. Because verse 3 of Romans 8 tells us 
that God sent Jesus to us. Josh, I'm going to ask you to represent this for us. Josh, would you get in that coffin as well? There is. Oh, sorry, I've got two Joshes, sorry. You're here tonight, you can do tonight, and then I don't have to change it. Yeah. Josh Oldfield, sorry. Apologies for any other Joshes who have started moving if they come down the stairs. So... Verse, verse 3 of chapter 8 says that God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sends him to earth. He sends Jesus into our situation. Jesus comes to earth and for the most part, no one, no one notices anything different about him because he is fully human. He, he's a human being, just like all the rest of us. He's born like a human being. Uh, he grows up like, uh, his body like a human being. Uh, he lives in the world like a human being. He faces temptations uh, like a human being. But there's one massive difference, and that's that he is also God. And because he's God, he's perfect, and he is sinless. And so whenever sin tries to lay a hand on him, it can't because he never submits to it. He never does anything wrong. We grow up, just, we just default to doing things wrong. He never does. He never does anything wrong. And so he's living, that's why Paul says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't pretending to be a person. He wasn't pretending to be a human. He is a human. And so he looks like the rest of us and the rest of us are all in sinful flesh. We're all in the flesh. But he is different. Because he has no sin. And because sin can't lay a finger on him, death doesn't have a claim on him. The powers that have conquered every single one of us, that trap every single one of us, are impotent against him. Because he never sins. And so he need never die. But you will know that he died. Why does he die? He doesn't just die. He dies a sinner's death. He dies the worst of deaths. Death that's full of guilt and shame and powerlessness. Why? Well, the answer is for us. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. That sin has to be condemned. It has to be dealt with. God is just, he's got to punish. And so how is he going to punish? He's going to punish his own son. The only one who never deserved it. He's our substitute. He takes our place. He takes our punishment. Josh, why don't you stand in front of Karis so that this is just really clear. That's, so the punishment of God hits him. So it doesn't hit us. Now, because sin and death still had no power over him, he was able to take our deadly punishment, and then he was able to rise to new life on the third day. Now, we're about halfway through what Paul says God's done for us here. Here's the first part. Something had to happen for you. God sent his son and condemned sin, your sin, in Jesus. But then the second thing Paul says, something has to happen to you. God sends his Holy Spirit to you. Verse 9, talking to Christians, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Paul's happy to use different phrases at different times here to mean a similar thing. He's talking to Christians, saying you're in the Spirit and you are in Christ. And we'll see the differences in just a moment. 
Jesus describes why this is the case. He says in John 3, verse 5 to 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Jesus isn't giving a command here, because how, how can you do that? How do I get born again? I can make myself be born the first time. How do I do it the second time? Jesus said, no, he's saying, this has to happen to you. Paul puts it this way, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, the, the giver of life, who gives us this new life. It's the Holy Spirit who opens blind eyes, who enables us to see and understand and believe that Jesus is Lord. And so we say in the Spirit, yes, he is Lord. He is Saviour. He has died and been raised again to new life. I believe it. How are you able to do that? It may have been a journey for you. You may have been working things out and reading books and talking to people and stuff like that. But the reason you were able to do it is that God put his Holy Spirit in you and made you new. You were born again. Another way Paul describes it. Earlier in Romans, Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been united with him. Now, here's the move. Here's why this part of the story isn't enough. Because if you're baptised If you put your faith in Jesus and you're baptised into him, you are now in him. You're now no longer in the flesh. Just let's take this new Christian out of the grave and put them in the baptistry. Let's do it. I mean, you know, just walk her along. It's fine. Don't worry. You don't need to carry her. I mean, I did tell you, Carol, so that skirt was your choice. Good job. Look, now, her situation has utterly changed. It's totally different now. She was in the flesh. And this is, she was in the flesh, she was in a comic, that was where life was going. She is now in Christ. It's a different place. Let's notice two things about this. Firstly, where is the place of condemnation? Where is the place where you get condemned? Where is the place where there is a punishment given for sin? I showed it to you just earlier. It's here. This is where condemnation happens, in the flesh. Where is she? She's not there anymore. So if there's any, can there be any condemnation for, there can if you're there, but if you're not there, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're no longer in the flesh. You're now in Christ. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. It's not just that you're hoping it's true. It's not that you did some good things this week. It's that God has done something to you. Martin Luther said this. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. 
Second question, and then these guys will be able to sit down. Can you have a foot in both camps? No. No, you really can't. A lot of Christians think they can. You know, I'm a terrible sinner. I do this, I do that. They, they, they feel at least partly in the coffin. If you were to say, do you feel, are you in the flesh or in Christ? They'd be like, a bit of both? Because most days it feels like a bit of both. I put the two things a long way away from each other because that's what Paul does in this passage. He says, it's one or the other. You really, you just, you know, there's no stretch that can make this possible. There's no one who could get, be in both of these places. That's the, the, the nature of this work that Jesus has done. Paul says there is no half and half living. There's no half and half living. You're in the flesh or you're in Christ. And those who have the Holy Spirit of God in them, who, who the Spirit has come upon them and they've been born anew, they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Colossians 1.13 says, into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. And the Holy Spirit does this and then gets to work on us and add a whole bunch of things to say about it, but we're going to run out of time. So that's a shame, but it's all right because... This whole passage is about what God has done for us. He now fills us with his spirit. This Holy Spirit is life and peace, he says. And this life is the, it's the spirit uh, who, uh, who was dwelling over the face of the waters at creation. It's the spirit uh, who, who caused Jesus to be conceived in Mary. That same life-giving spirit is now in you if you're a Christian. He brought you into new life and now he continues to animate you with the life of God and brings the peace of God, the wholeness of knowing that we belong to Jesus. Hmm. Do we have these things fully yet? No. That's why it feels like you're in a bit of both sometimes. People often say the kingdom of God is now and not yet. And so there's a now. You've been transferred. There's a not yet. You still sometimes act like you're living over there. Those habits are hard to break. We're in a culture that lives this way. There's, there's still this, this fleshliness of us that is like this. But it's on its way out. Some of those changes will be sudden, and that's really exciting. You might remember this when you first became a Christian. Like, suddenly I just stopped doing this thing. I used to swear a lot. I used to tell really dirty jokes. And honestly, it just went overnight. I was like, wow, this is amazing. The Holy Spirit must be in me, because I could not have done that. Then loads of other things have been a real slog. They've taken years. So then verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And we start to think, oh no, is that me? But Paul does not allow us to think that here. I mean, I, I don't know, I can have worked out the illustration for this, but there's no way that you can get out of that and go back there. You can't be unborn again. Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. God is one who, the things he begins, he completes. He begun a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, Jesus says, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Have you said that Jesus is Lord? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 says, you can only do that by the Holy Spirit. You can only say and believe that Jesus is Lord if the Holy Spirit works that in you. Are you now wanting to live to please the Holy Spirit? You're being led by him to please God. You don't do it all the time and in fact, sometimes you grieve about that and Actually, you like, oh, no, I must be an awful Christian because I'm so sad about my sin. She didn't used to be like that. But God puts a, a holiness in us that is unsettled when we sin. 
The direction of our life has been changed. And here's where it's going. Final statement that Paul makes. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The greatest power in all the universe that raised Christ from the dead, that made all things and makes all things new, will make you new. The bit of receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled, given the Holy Spirit now is the sign of what's to come. The giver of life is in you if you've put your faith in God. And he will then make us new and we'll have new bodies and we'll live in perfect obedience. So Paul's described the past of everyone who was in Christ. Jesus was condemned in their place and they were born again into God's kingdom. He's clarified the present. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and the life-giving spirit of God is in us and he's pointed us to the future, the resurrection of the dead, glorious new bodies and a glorious new creation, living with God forever in joy.